welcome to the Film Look Podcast, where we break down films, learn from the pros, and try to become better filmmakers along the way. I'm Richard Scott, and I'm joined by Robert Carr and Christian Foreman. And today, these two guys have got some facts for us. We too. Hello. Hi, Ken. Uh, who's first? Uh, right, K-Dog is doing pretty badly on the facts, so let's give him the chance to go first. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to lose again this week because I, I can't remember, but we might have used this fact before, but I liked it in my in my research, so here we go. So Sean Connery, you know Sean Connery, Scottish guy, played James uh, Bond. James Bond, yeah. Right? Still alive, isn't he? He was, yep, yep. <laughs> That's not the fact. James, Sean Connery is still uh, alive. Do you, <laughs> do you know what time Sean Connery <laughs> plays his favourite sport? Uh, tennis. <laughs> that's pretty good um, man <laughs> uh, so the fact is Sean Connery was contractually forbidden from wearing a full tuxedo in any non-James Bond movie from 1995 to 2002 so he wasn't allowed to wear a tux in a film that's is right that, is that but interesting why? why how did they do that just put it in his contract I don't know maybe the, the James Bond people um I don't know. Like, he would look too much like James Bond, so they're like, you can't wear a tuxedo in any other film. I suppose it's like, you know, James Bond's uniform, isn't it? Uh, and if you see Sean Connery with it on, you associate him with James Bond. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, um, like Daniel Craig was obviously, come, he's going to be the, the, it's going to be his last James Bond soon. But he's just in that film Knives Out. Um, and he wears a suit pretty much for the entire thing of that. But he's definitely he got a, a different. Tux, does he? For, no, and he definitely he has a different uh, like body shape as well. He's not like the trim cut like James Bond is. He's a bit more. And he's got like a suit. And he's got yeah. like a deep Texas uh, accent. So I think yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the suave he's, James Bond uh, type. He's all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sean Connery's uh, eighty nine. Still alive. Eighty nine. Yeah. I think he's uh, he's sworn to never go to England ever again. Oh really? Pretty sure he said that, that much. Like, like fifteen years ago. He's like, I'm never gonna enter England ever, ever again. I think most of most Scottish people have ever sworn that at some point in time. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Right, Rob. What's your fact? Uh, my fact is about Star Trek, and we might have had this one before as well. But uh, the sound of the doors, uh, you know, in Star Trek when they go into like the um, the any any room, essentially, it like does a swoosh. It's actually uh, yeah. a toilet flush, flushing on a Russian toilet. <laughs> on a Rus- it's right. a toilet flushing I on a Russian it. train, sorry. Why particularly Russian? Don't know. Is that just, just when they recorded the sound? The sound? Yeah, it's just what the fact says. Like. just the sound they make. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a different accent to like an English toilet. Yeah, I always yeah. be like... <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. was uh, I was playing video games a couple of years ago, and there was this Russian guy, and I didn't realise that you could hum music in an accent, but it's, you can't. So mm. he was going dun 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 or like, obviously you can sing in a different accent, but I just thought that was really funny. And he was like, and are you okay? Are you okay, Abby? <laughs> <laughs> and he was good. really good at the game as well. And every time he killed us, he kept going, good rigged. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty so good. So anytime I kill anyone in a game, or oh, I'm playing with these same people, I was like, good rigged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a Rob. Yes. I think that's a really good, 
it, it's a sound one, so I'm, I'm going to like it anyway. Yeah. But the fact that it's like a Russian toilet on a train, there's some layers to it. Yeah, I like your fact as well, K-Dog. But K-Dog, you keep doing James Bond facts. No, What's I, wrong with you? I like James Bond. I watched Goldfinger the, the other day, and it's honestly some of the most misogynistic uh, content oh, you've terrible. ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. Aren't they um, all going on Amazon? I, th- I heard. Are they really? Yeah, oh, that'd yeah. be good. Yeah, I really want to watch the old ones, like all of, all of them from the beginning. Yeah, I've got them all, like, but uh, like, I want to start watching them from the beginning because I'm, ne- I'm sure I've watched most of the Roger Moore ones, but they were awful. So, in the opening scene of this yeah. one, he uses a woman as a human shield. <laughs> oh, he doesn't yeah. Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has one of them where he just punches her as well isn't he uh, yeah and then he slaps her across the face because she's disrespected him <laughs> anyway <laughs> so bad should we uh, let's get on to the film that we're going to talk about this week so it was my suggestion uh, we're now taking it in turns and I thought we would do something a bit fun a bit funny and in the same vein as American Pie because that's one of my favourite episodes we ever recorded I know Rob suggested that one and he absolutely pulled it out the bag with, basically, I was convinced that um, American Pie was one of the greatest films of all time. (laughs) Hey. So this week, yeah, we're going to talk about the 2007 film called Superbad. K-Dog, have you got the uh, the details for Superbad? Do you want to start talking about them? I have, yeah. So Superbad is a 2007 American coming-of-age teen comedy film directed by Greg uh, Matola and produced by Judd Apatow. Uh, the film stars Jonah Hill and Michael Serra as Seth and Ethan, two teenagers about to graduate high school. But before graduating, the boys went to a party and to try and lose their virginity. But their plan proves harder than expected, as you would expect in a teen comedy film. Um, so this film did really well at the box office. It grossed $169 million and the budget of the Whoa. film was only $20 million. And... Yeah, since its release, it's garnered acclaim as one of the best comedies of the 2000s and one of the best high school um, uh, teen comedies of all time as well, like you said at the beginning. So, yeah, Rich, why don't you start us off with um, thoughts, given that this was your choice? Yeah, well, I saw it on Netflix and it's been on my list for a while. I've seen this a bunch of times. Like, this came out in, what, 2007? So I was... 15 at the time so it really hit like the 15 year old spot for like a a fun sexy comedy with dumb guys running around a city all night um but after watching it uh i watched it just a couple of hours ago and you know what this is the greatest romance story of all time (laughs) uh right i know like last week uh I'd, i'd seen pan's labyrinth and because i would like put my critical head on I saw so many like flaws in it. It was like Swiss cheese. Um, I didn't see anything wrong with this film at all. So I hope you have got some criticisms because I watched this. I tried to criticize it and I couldn't find a single flaw in this movie. Movie other than like a few taste points. Um, had any of you guys not seen this film before? No, I'd seen it. No, no. I think it was. I mean, it was huge when it came out, right? We were like the perfect age for this. I think it's the perfect perfect film for millennials. Um. It's every single person quoted this film to death at my school and just watched it on repeat for about a year. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can't really quote, you can't really fault this film for its quotability. It's just so every single scene has got something that you go, oh yeah, that was, I remember that. Um, 
but yeah, sorry, I've seen this a few times. Yeah, I mean, so I've, what did you think of it then? Um, it's it's not a news story, is it? We've seen this kind of keen teen coming of age drama film like hundreds of times, you know, about these group of losers trying to lose their virginity before they go to college. Um, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, American Pie is one of the big ones. You know, other things like before that, like Porky's and um, Dazed and Confused. There's some good ones I remember from like the 80s, 90s time. I mean, it's it's what you'd expect, right? It's really crass and immature and stupid and silly but it's you know you can't deny that it's not really really funny and there's loads of laugh out loud moments throughout the whole thing and i think that's why people love it so much robbie you've seen this before yeah i've seen this like a few times but not in a long time um i don't know why but it's just i think i watched it that much when it when it did come out like i was 2007 how old was i like 19 20 something like that yeah, nineteen. Um, so again, perfect, perfect age group. And like K Dog just said, like it's not original. That's the one downside to this. It's not an original story, but you could, this story will be told many more times. Every every five five years or ten years, there'll be another one of these. And the the reason that they can still and keep making these films is because it's just about the characters. Yeah, the situations are very very similar, but it's the characters and their personality and uh, like it says, this is it's like a rite rite of passage film, but it's also like a buddy love film as well in terms of like the genre of the film. Like buddy love films, it's like because you know the they've got like they're so close together, and in the end they have to like we know exactly what's going to happen in the end. They're going to go separate ways, so it's just like those last couple of days, or, or basically the, the last day that they have together is like really good mates and. You can tell this story a million times and a million times more, and there will be another sewer bad with a different title, different cast, and it'll do just as well, just as long as well, the, most, the scenarios they put themselves. The in most the, recent one, the most recent one was last year with Booksmart. Did you watch that? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, if you um, haven't, if you, ha- if you haven't watched that, it is so so good, Booksmart. Yeah, I would say on par, if not better than Superbad. Um, it's so funny, but yeah, it's exactly this like what you just said. It's the same story. Uh, just updated 10 years later um, and for some reason we just never get tired of them I think because they're just so relatable yeah it's a dream fulfillment thing isn't it yeah. especially like this came out in 2007 so it was right like you say for the millennials to, to get a good feel point for this it's similar ages you're going to be going through or have gone or are going through the same things these guys are doing it also it's relatable to me because uh, when they're like who's Seth and like who's this guy and who's that and the guy who doesn't get invited to parties I was that guy at school uh-huh. I joined the school like two years later than everyone else so it wasn't the fact that no one liked me it was the fact that no one even knew who I was <laughs> mm. so that was pretty depressing so I think yeah like you say that when you made a good point about it being this is a story that's been told a million times I quite like the new lick of paint they've put on it uh, like it has a super bad-esque with the fact that you start off straight away and it's a conversation between these two guys talking about what what, what porn to subscribe to. <laughs> and he's like, I think I'm going to subscribe to Vagtastic Voyage. It instantly gives you the type of theme and the type of crass humour that this is <laughs> this is going to get. And there's a there's a quote early on where he's like, I don't want to be the guy who sucks dick at fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> 
from, from then on, I feel like you're either going to love this film or you're going to hate this film. It's very much a Marmite type of movie. Yeah. I mean, with the... Uh, Rob, you said that you you got the, the points down from Save the Cat. Yeah, should so... We, should we go through them? Yeah, so I've like I've mentioned Save the Cat in probably the last two podcasts, and I thought for this film, since I don't think there's going to be a lot on things like visual effects and props and costumes, even though I think the costumes, like especially when he gets dressed up to go to the party, I think that suits his type of character but i don't think there's a lot on terms of that um so i thought we could talk about you know the structure of the film a lot more um so save the cat if anyone that doesn't know it's a screenwriting book um by blake snyder this we me and richard both following this book and it's how we like structure our feature films um so he talks about I've always spoke about this, so the genre, he's got genres like the writer passage in a buddy love, and this is very much like that. It's like any buddy love, romantic comedy, cop film, it's exactly like that because of Seth and Evan, who like the best mates, and like he says, we've seen this a million times. But the opening image, which is the first thing that he mentions in the, in the book in terms of structure, um, and it, you know, it's to, to set up your film, it's like Rich says, like, we'll start off with them in the car and this is just a typical day in the life. You know, this is the world getting introduced to it straight away. And it's so easy instead of like him just picking up his mate and having a conversation in the car, he rings him up beforehand and it's on the phone. And then we slowly realize that he's actually picking them up. And that tells the entire story of everything and how good mates these two people are. Yeah. Completely inseparable to the point where they need to call each other, even though they're going to see each other 10 minutes later. Yeah. Um, and that just gets us straight into this is a typical day in the life of these two characters and that's a perfect opening image that's what you want from an opening image you don't want any mystery or anything like that this is what's happening right now and that's okay we're along for the ride in the car literally yeah it sets up the norm doesn't it yep so what's the next one um so we've got set up um so this is very similar to the opening image but it happens over a space of like, I would say 10 pages. So you've got, uh, you know, we'll find out that these two characters, the best buds, and in two weeks time, they're going to graduate from high school. There you go. There's the setup. There's the premise. We know that these two have got little time together and we're going to go on a journey with them. And this is only a day. It is. Yeah, it's one full day. One full day. I and was then, surprised at that. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, and then it's a little bit like of the next day at the very end of this when they're in the uh, the shopping mall. Um, like, it's a little bit of that day. And actually, I'll, I'm going to jump straight to uh, the end of it, which is the closing image, which in some films, um, kind of when you see the opening image, it's a reflection of what the closing image is going to be. And this one isn't quite exact, but it's them. The opening image is obviously them two uh, coming together. He's pick the he picks them up, and then they go to school. This end image is them. They've like resolved everything, and they're together. But then they both walk away with each other with the girl that they've been trying to get through this entire film, and they were separated and they're fine with it at that point. So the opening and closing image kind of um, reflect each other in that way. And they're together through this entire film, apart from the first two minutes and the last two minutes. Uh, and then that's it. So, um, yeah, so we've got some other plot points. So we've got uh, the setup and then like themes stated. So it's it, this is all about what we're saying about the rite of passage and the buddy love. This is when we find out their mission, what they wanted to do before they leave high school. And obviously their mission is to have sex before they leave high school. So 
when they go to college, they're better at it. It's as simple as that. And so they don't then, suck dick at fucking pussy. Yep, exactly <laughs> like that. I will put a, a an adult filter on this one, so because um, you can you can do that on the sentence. Uh, and then we've got the thing that's the <laughs> which is rude. Yeah, well after um, the thing that's like the in every single film you have this, and this is a call to action. This is where they get. Uh, in, in in any film, so for example, we did when we did. Uh, I'm trying to think in Pan's Labyrinth when, which we did last week. Her call to action is um, the fairy tale book and th- that mission to like she gets called to do that. Um, in this one, they get the call to action because they find out about this party, which, as we've just said, they never get invited to, and now they're getting invited to a party, and then they find out that one of their mates. Fogel, is it? Is it Fogel? Is that you say? Fogel, yeah. Fogel, yeah. That he's going to go and get a fake ID and then they can buy booze. This all happens in the same exact scene within about two pages of each other. So find out about the party, to find out they can get a fake ID and buy booze and then that's that's their call. Like, okay, how do we get to this party? And then it's just all from that. Like, it's, it's in that one yeah. scene and it's just... It's so simple and how it's delivered uh, and just you introduce all of the characters within that one scene. So let's talk about the act structure then. So is that moment when they kind of present the idea, is that kind of the beginning of the second act, would you say? Uh, yeah, that would be yes. the break into act two. Yeah. It's got 22 minutes in that they're like, we, we outlay the plan. We're going we're gonna to shag the girls by getting the alcohol, being really impressive, going to the party, all the things that they've never been able to do before, and now they've got to do it. Da 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 da. In one afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 like it's a couple of hours as well, isn't it? Like all these events happen if you actually time them out. It's like how did you have enough time to do all that that night? You would have been yeah. you would have got to the party at like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like it would have been finished because yeah. he's he's like he, they finished school and then. Uh, Fogel goes to work for I don't know how long but it must it couldn't have just been half an hour uh, <laughs> and then they go meet him and then all this happens and they seem to get to the party I would say around about 12 1 o'clock so something like that yeah yeah it's been dark for a while with them running through the streets yeah um I think is what 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 one of the conflicts that happens uh, early on which you might not think about it as much until 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 you're like un- until the film gets started when he drives to the school he parks in the faculty car park and he goes you shouldn't park there and he's like no i'll be fine and then when he comes back out obviously his car's being towed away we've been this has been set up and there's the payoff because they couldn't have had a car because this then this entire story is so easy they can get from point a to point b because yeah, it could have done everything in five minutes rather than hours yeah, yeah. Like, they wouldn't have got to all of these different locations and they wouldn't have gotten in so much trouble if they had a car. So having that restriction yeah, in place... stakes, doesn't it? Yeah. And I suppose it, at this point in time, 2007, they don't have smartphones, do they? So they can't call, you know, Ubers or uh, other yeah. people to pick them up, but they've just got those little flip phones that yeah. uh, don't think, do anything but call people that you already know. Yeah, I think in um, Booksmart, uh, which is pretty much yeah. a carbon copy of I, this film... 
She, she loses signal or a battery because, low, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. They have to, in all films nowadays, they have to work in at the plot away for them to lose their phone, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in order to, to, to move the story along. Yeah, yeah, I think she first loses signal, then she loses battery, then she leaves it in the car. Um, yeah. So it's like... They, yeah, they don't have yeah, to bother. It's clever, that bit about them, about them losing the car, because it, it also gives us a character development with the Seth character, so Jonah Hill. Because it's like he's super arrogant, and he's like, "Oh, I don't give a, I don't give a crap about this. I'm just going to do it." And then it's like, "Oh, well, that's the first fault you've made." Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know what? I want to talk about something that it does really well, and that's um, if you enter a scene positive, or you've just won the last scene, so you enter the next scene with uh, some gratitude and feel like you're winning. You've got to exit the same scene feeling like you're losing. And there's one scene. Uh, that does it really well and it's with um, Evan talking to Becca and it's like oh we've right so we've sorted out the fake ID I'm going to go talk to Becca uh, I'm going to say oh I'm going to go to the party now oh and she's like oh will you get us some gold slick vodka and he's like oh yeah I can do that and it's like oh he's winning so how do we make this guy lose <laughs> So something as simple as a guy brushes into him when he's supposed to give her like a punch on the shoulder <laughs> punch in her boob <laughs> yeah. it's like oh god I mean with with all of this uh, um, I get told I, I, I learned early on when you're writing a comedy there has to be like three jokes per page for it to be funny and to be memorable obviously that's when I think about that that must be so difficult to do but that's exactly what they've done in this film and this is why it works so well as a comedy because it's it is joke, 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 but it's not like sometimes it's not laugh out loud funny. It's just so cringy, and you like you feel so sorry for them. Yeah. And some of the jokes of yeah. we've we've heard so many times before. For example, like in the opening image, when he picks when they pick each other up, and um, the his mom's there, like uh, Evan's mom's there, and it's just like this joke's been told a gazillion times. Like, like of course. His best mate will fancy his mum, and she'll mention, and he'll mention it, and then he mentions it at the very end of the film when he's like, "They're in the basement." It's like that joke's been told so many times, but you know what? It's still funny. Like it's, it's of yeah, course, it's, it's one of those films where because the story is an original, it is that dialogue and the chemistry between the two leads, like Seth and Evan, uh, that make this film fantastic and what it is. I think, and yeah, they're not. Because the film's so quotable, even though you know the jokes are coming, like you say, they're still funny, right? We can tell the jokes now. You know that the beat the beat is going to come where he says a joke about his mom's boobs or whatever, and then he says it, and it's still funny, even though you know it's. Good. I don't know how they do that. I guess it is the kind of del- del- delivery from the actors. Yeah, I've got a point on writing. Um, it's the scene when they go and get the booze from the liquor store, and it made us realise that how many like like. The, the actual plan is like just feels so simple it's just we need to buy alcohol and take it to the party and you would think well how can you turn this into an hour 45 minutes or however long it is and it's like well you, you got to keep putting obstacles in front of them but then you've got to try and weave in misunderstandings throughout that and when McLovin goes in when Fogel goes in and, and buys the alcohol well the the the, the, ob- the obvious thing is well, she just checks his ID straight away and he gets refused. Yeah. But that's boring. That's not cinematic. No. That's not that's not anything different. So what you, what what do you have to do? Well, you have to just you have you have to get it. He's got to get the alcohol. Everything's going to win. And then boom, surprise, he gets punched 
She starts crying. They get the police in. Then you're thinking, well, all right. So they get the police in. Um, but haven't Evan and... Uh, What's the other one called again? Seth. Seth seen this the whole time. No, they haven't because they were outside five minutes ago. They were talking about the uh, the plastic surgery, the boob reduction of the, the girl who was in like the year above them. And they decided to run down the street to have a look at the boobs the whole time. By the time they come back, all they see is a police car and him looking like he's about to get arrested. And I just thought yeah. that's a really good, super simple misunderstanding that these characters are already set up to be like borderline sex pest pervert kids and they would go do something like that. So like it's in character and then by the time they get back, that plot line is already set up perfectly to separate these these two groups out. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, that setup was like, is perfect and it's, what I like about it as well is like, like there are parts or so, uh, McLovin, which is, first of all, I remember when that came out and he got the name, his fake ID, like one of our mates just got the nickname McLovin because he looked somewhat like him. Um, and then it just kind of stuck for a very long time. Um, so like <laughs> like everyone quoted that line. Everyone is seeing like the, uh, the fake ID with his face on and just the name McLovin from Hawaii. Um, so that that whole thing is where they set it up, and then it's it's great when they like come back together as well. When McLovin finds this, uh, Seth and Evan, um, and he's in the police car because Wayne always there, and he's just like it, there's a little bit of tension there, you know, when they're like on the ground and you've uh, the uh, the two policemen are just about to shoot them. Just like McLovin's yeah. there, and he's going to save the day, and he doesn't really, but it's fine <laughs> because they all come together and go to the party. So it's just like they've been together, they've been away from each other for what seems like I would say six hours, could be even longer. I don't think it is though, not in terms yeah. of the movie structure. And then, yeah, make love and, and the three of them are back together. And it, but, when they get reunited, is that would you say that's when they break into the third act? Uh, yeah. So there's there's a lot what of did you like have for that. Yeah, there's a lot of like beats in between that. Um, so you've got like. Um, the midpoint is when they go to uh, the party with that random guy, you know, who um, who's outside oh, of... the short guy. Yeah, the short guy, and they go to the random party and they end up Remember, having a fight. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Runs him over. And they feel like it's going to be like, they're going to get all this booze and it's a victory. They found this guy, he's going to get all this booze and they're going to get back to the... Uh, get to the, the party that they want to get to but that's a false victory because of what happens in that situation they probably shouldn't have went anywhere but it all obviously all yeah. works out in the end um so you've got that that is a midpoint in that pretty so that much. is the false victory then yeah is that they're going to be able to get the booze from this other place mm-hmm. and save the day yeah and it, when they get there it's not as it seems no it's proper sketchy it's probably the worst place that could be yeah um and that that happens <laughs> like pretty much in the mid middle of the story middle of the film um, and then you've got we'll just, uh, a few things moving on to so like obviously bad guys close in so uh, there's, there's the, the, the obviously the two characters Seth and Evan they're both kind of split up at that point and Evan goes off and he, he tries to ring or the girl rings him um, Seth stays at the party and still tries to carry on through with a plan and then um, th- then the party just gets even worse like it, it's like uh, obviously the the main what's he in the other guy the guy who's, whose party it is I recognise there's so many people in this film that I recognised 
Oh, he's he's in loads loads of stuff. Um, yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, that's I just can't remember the guy who plays Mark or something. Yeah, aye. Um, obviously he starts starts loads of trouble. So that like the bad guys close in. It's just at that point again, they're just everything's just building up and building up and building up. Um, they eventually get away from the party, and then all is lost. There's an all is lost point in Save the Cat, and that's when the cops find them. Like I says, um, they're on the floor. I think one of them go he gets hit by the police car. Then the cops are like, "Oh my god, we've got to make a different situation out of this." Um, they're on the floor, and then they eventually they kind of get away from that. Uh, and then Dark Knight of the Soul. This is when the uh, the heroes do run away. The cops chase them, and uh, one of them is extremely fast at running. Um, and he just that's a, that's another joke that we've seen a million times. You know, our main character runs away from the fat, arrogant policeman because the policeman's too fat. Like, how many times have we seen that joke? And it was hilarious. You see him being sick. And it's just like, why are we still laughing at this joke that I've seen a million times in every film with a cop in it? Um, anybody, anybody love anybody cop film, that joke is in it. And if it's not in it, you know it's, it shouldn't be a buddy cop film. So it's like, it's these like, um, not trademarks, these cliches in a way that's still acceptable in films. Um, but yeah, kid, what you just said, break into three, uh, that's when they arrive at the party. And that's our third act. Um, and they go the separate ways at that point, which works out for them, kind of. Well, it, it doesn't really work out, but it works out in terms of their moral growth, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, this, the, the whole film was the mincemeat to turn them into burger patties. And by the end of it, the they come out better on the other side. Yeah. But even though the, the original plan, it was just, they needed this all along. Yeah. When they get to like that third act, um, you know, they arrive at the party and the, the, there's so much trouble that get, they get themselves into within that like final, f- there's two more beats after this. So we've got the final, like um, the finale. And then we've got the closing image, which I've obviously spoken about. But in the finale, there's, there's like in Save the Cat, the book, there's a, f- in the finale you should have five points to make you know to to finish your film this is what he, he says throughout the throughout the book and um this does there's five points that in the finale they fail and they keep failing and they keep failing and they keep failing and then the police turn up and then they come together as friends first of all they come together as friends is because they're drunk like they're absolutely off the face and they don't know what's going on they just see these bad guys as the policemen and then he just carries them, carries them away, and then the friends get the friends again. Like that's all it takes, and that's all it takes when you have an argument with your mate, like something like that. It's perfectly fine. Like they know the bigger problem, they know that these policemen is uh, they they're gonna catch them, but as mates they can help each other out in whatever came before the last two hours of this film doesn't matter. And it's just like it says it's just so relatable, I think, for so many people because they're just mates. That's that's all it is. It's just they're following them on this journey, and uh, I think that's why we kind of like we'll watch this again. I know I will uh, at some point, just because it's it's so relatable. I found I found that last scene when they were kind of partying ways when they one of them goes down the the escalator. It's quite sad. Like, yeah. I can't remember being that sad, and it, it is just representative of you know that time 
in, in, in school and in college and high school, whatever you call it, um, where you're so close to these, this group of close group of friends and you can never really replicate that friendship again after that point in time. And yeah, that is, mm. it, that just made me when that they were kind of parting ways when they both had a go, just, it was just, yeah, a visual representation of, I don't know, growing maturing, up. growing up and that kind of sadness of, of, uh, mm -hmm leaving your youth and that sort of close friendship behind. Yeah. Which was, again, we've seen it like... Relatable, weren't they, the whole time? Yeah. We've, again, we've seen that in, like, every single teen drama film. This happens at the end. The, t the two mates, Maybe three mates. Maybe they updated every 10 years because, like, people change throughout time. So in mm -hmm. 2007, people are a lot more crass and talk with a, with a, uh, a bad tongue. And these are the like the new problems of the noughties rather than like the problems of the 1980s, things like that. Yeah, that's so true. The, the actual moral points are pretty much the same, but it's it's this new updated lick of paint. And then it's, I suppose it's also like taste as well, isn't it? Because you've got films in the noughties like, uh, like The Hangover and things like that where they, they've upped the ridiculousness of these naive young people. So you've got to push them even further than they, than they used to. Yeah. But I think as well, like... Um, one... Go on. Uh, one writing point that I had that I thought that was interesting. Um, the fact that they split up uh, Fogel from Seth and Evan mm -hmm. uh, actually made it, made it long enough to be a feature film. Because if you imagine uh, if they were all together and they, they, they got through all of the Seth and Evan parts and then... Yeah, the police would come in randomly, but maybe they wouldn't come in because they wouldn't have met Fogel yeah. and done the whole McLovin thing. But the good thing about it is you can break those scenes up and you can do like, meanwhile, over here, this is happening. So you can start the scenes as late as possible. And then when you finish the scene, it's like we can we can just wrap it up and get to half an hour later. So you don't have to have any of these like transition points between them. It's just cut into like the main action at each point. And then when they finally come together, it's this this feeling of resolution of like, oh, finally, yeah. okay, the, let's get on the, with the it. Se the Seth and Evans storyline, that was, you had the, the main storyline, what we were seeing, but there was always like an undercurrent, a B storyline of their kind of relationship, that their unsaid relationship, that they're, they're kind of parting ways at college, right? And that was what they're mm -hmm. trying to um, come to terms with in an unspoken way. Whereas the McLovin storyline... There wasn't really an underlying story there. There was just it was just pure comedic relief. There yeah. was no, yeah. there was nothing else to that that I can think of. No, it um, was it was just. Well, they definitely felt like side characters, didn't they? Yeah. They, like what is what is Fogel like? What is his, uh, what has he learned throughout the film? Not not a lot really. He just sort of wins the whole time. Yeah. But maybe maybe that's a good thing. Like you've got this guy who just like sails across the plot line as this comic relief the whole time. This guy who you would think would, would fail at everything. He's, the, he's the, the skinniest, the shortest. He's got glasses. He's the one that nobody uh, likes. Not even the losers like him. Like he's the, he's the like outcast in the group. Yeah. But still, he he So he, he needs wins. to win. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to win the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that he does it with two crazy cops. <laughs> well, as well, like, obviously he is the... No one wants to be mates with him. Uh, but... The thing is, Evan and Seth are, even if they didn't like to admit it, they are mates with them. But that just shows you where they are on the social scale in terms of like, well, no one yeah. will speak to McLovin 
but these two have to because they've got no one well, else. It's like a perspective. He's rock bottom, and then they're just slightly above. Yeah, what I liked about this that, film is uh, as well that previous films didn't do is that there's not like those cliched um, high school cliques. Um, there's not like the jock. There's not the the, jock, the cool kid, like the that, kind yeah. of nerd or whatever. The kind of oldest kind of in betweeners, as we call them. They're oldest kind of yeah. Like the they're the losers, but they're not smart. <laughs> like the, the, the yeah. Yeah, but they also they stand up for themselves, which isn't like those two would be like nerds, not smart nerds, but losers, like you say. But they've added things into the scenes that show that they're not the guys who are being bullied all the time. They're not the guys who are who are at rock bottom and and, and get you know get swilled in the toilet bowl yeah. and stuff like that. With scenes such as when when the they're on the football field. Evan is, is playing football, yeah. And what's-his-name goes past Dave like, Franco. Dave Franco yeah. And then he's oh. like, oh, just, you know, go go, go piss your pants again, man. Shut up. <laughs> it's like everyone's on a bit of a level, level playing field, which yeah. is is nice. You don't have the big guy. Fl- Flash from uh, Spider-Man's not there. There isn't a big guy <laughs> at all. There isn't a muscly football dude. Which sometimes you would get at the not party so- at the end, right? You'd get the, they'd meet the big jock and they'll have to confront him and all of that sort of stuff. But that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's it's all just like more internal conflict instead of that like external. So the external is obviously the, bu- the bully would be there and they've got to get past him. before they can get to the girls but it's actually just their internal like being idiots that's getting in the way like (laughs) it that's all it is there's really there's not really too many external problems they're just young and naive so let's just have that you don't you don't need like a bully character that we've seen and like says in every other film to stop them doing what they're doing because again that that is another cliche that that we see and sometimes it works but We've probably seen it more than anything else. They're just idiots getting in the way. <laughs> and a lot of the, like you say, the conflict, it's not, a lot of the, like the external conflict isn't a third party. It's not a guy attacking them. It's them accidentally tying their own shoes together. Yeah, which, that's which all it is. Makes them seem even more, even more stupid. Yeah, because yeah. you, know you know it's there well, for. We've talked so. about story a little bit. We could probably get into it a bit more as we go along. But should we talk a little bit about the direction? Yeah. Have you got any points on, on maybe about the roles they're playing um, and how how the actors played them? Well, I think it's per- like really perfect casting. Obviously, most of these were brand new to like, this is what their first major film. So, you know, we've seen Jonah Hill in a million things now. Um Michael, what's he yeah, called? Yeah, these these, uh, people, these guys are all like Oscar winners now. Yeah, like um, obviously Seth Rogen is in this, but he, he was one of the writers of this. Um, one of the facts is like this is he wrote it when he was a teenager, um, and it was basically everything happened to him. He says, this "Well, they're based on them. That's why the characters are named because yeah. him and Evan um, is yeah." Uh, what's it called? Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen wrote. They named the characters after themselves. I think initially Seth Rogen wanted to play the Seth character, but he at that point he was just too old and too, too kind old, of yeah. big um, to play a high school person. Uh-huh. Um, I think so um, they, I read somewhere that uh, the Jonah Hill character um, it was going to be played by, or there was an audition for. Um, oh, what's that guy in Who I Met Your Mother? 
I'll find it. Use talk. What, Jason Siegel? Jason, he, he, yeah, he uh, auditioned to play, I think it was either Evan or Jonah Hill. Well, he was in that group, right? Because that Joe Dapitore wrote that um, Freaks and Geeks. So yes. they, they already had that kind of crew where they, he had all the Francos and the Seth Rogans and yeah, that, that kind of group that made all of those films in the noise. Um, so they could just... He's a, this is all based on the casting director. I know it's the name. It's Alison Jones is the casting director. And she puts these people together all the time. So like you say, so she was the casting director for like loads of comedies just like this. So she's done things like Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, The Good Place, uh, Arrested Development. Uh, yeah. She did Mid-90s because obviously she's uh, she's friends with Jonah Hill. Uh, what else? We've got Lady Bird, Kubo and the Two Strings. That's an Oscar winning film. Mm. Ghostbusters, all of these like SNL, uh, Get Hard. Yeah. Uh, this is 40. Just loads of stuff. Yeah. And like best friends forever, bridesmaids, yeah. like they're all the ones you would expect. I love you, man. Parks and Rec. She's a, she's a good all of those director. all of those types of films, and they are a type of film like that kind of Judd Apatow comedy, um, where they've all got the same, you know, um, actors. They've all got that same look about them. If you want to talk about the direction and the bit about the cinematography, they all feel like the Judd Apatow comedy before you even um, anything happens on screen. I don't know why that is. It's just. I don't know. It's the lighting's very kind of even, and it's shot digitally. It's very highly saturated. It looks, mm. it kind of, it's, it's non-imposing, really, isn't it? It just kind of lets the, lets the more focus on the characters, and, and the humour rather than anything flashy on the screen. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the cinematography for that, it just helps them like um, do as many takes as possible. I, I read somewhere that. They were amazed that they were shooting it on digital and they loved it because they could just uh, do take after take after take and just keep rolling even in between takes. So they could try out different lines and, and stuff like that. And this type of comedy, this, this is just how they shot. You want to see everything, you know, when it gets like um, dramatic, you notice it even more. This, this was shot on film. No, it was shot digitally. This wasn't shot no, digital. No, yeah. it was digital, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, and the facts, it was... Uh, um, and it, like I said, just so they can just keep rolling because comedies you want to you want to get the best joke out there, and the 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 they are writing some of the jokes or coming up with them as as they are acting as well. I think um, they encourage they encourage like um, ad libbing and improvising. Yeah, because you never know what. As you're long as they with. got as long as they got the the kind of lines in the script, they just let them play about with them a bit. Yeah, because you you know these obviously all of these have gone on to do massive comedies, and they are funny people, so let them let them do what they do. Let them act and uh, come up with jokes on the fly. So, um, but yeah, it doesn't have any particular look to it. You know, um, it, you you could put a picture of Superbad next to, you know, a picture of, from uh, American Pie, the first one from nineteen ninety nine, and you'd be like, ah, oh, that, that could be the same place, the same world, same everything. Um, it just kind of feels real, doesn't it? So, yeah, saturated and lots of clutter. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's a lot of a lot of the sets, but also like the costumes don't like they're not dressed particularly well. Like they're wearing like dodgy jumpers and stuff. Um, a lot of like the silhouettes or like vignettes of the of the film come out really well, mainly because of the writing, but also because of the costume design and the production design. So like um, the perfect example of like a, a silhouette or a vignette of a film is a uh, Shaun of the Dead. You know, you would you would see a white shirt, and if it had red on it, you would know what it was. Or 
it would be a cricket bat with blood all over it mm -hmm. next to a, a shovel with blood all over it. Yeah. And with this, it's it's the weird um, the weird costume that Jonah Hill has the whole time. It's obviously McLovin in the in the vest, <laughs> and then it's a uh, it's the the fact that everything's in detergent bottles the whole time. There's these like things that super bad have, have made their own. Like if you saw like a two red detergent bottles and some uh fat bloke in a in a with an afro running down the street, you would know what Halloween costume he was trying to yeah. portray. Well whereas before this I don't think you would have noticed that. The film opens with silhouettes, doesn't it? I love the opening. I forgot, totally forgot about that. The, the coloured oh, kind yeah, of the Apple iPod intro. Apple style. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was yeah. a silhouette. That was a that's originally on the Blu-ray. Um, it was going to be on the Blu-ray. I don't know if it is, but it was going to be, uh, you know, the the menu uh, title. You know, when you're pressing playing, there's like a video playing. They were going to have that playing for an hour because he he actually like he was just doing these random dance moves, and he was like, um, it was um, it, not Jonah Hill, the other one, uh, Michael Sarah. Plays Evan. Yeah, he 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 came up with them and just went. This will be class for the DVD cover, but the editor of the film, or um, or the editor's assistant, was like, "Oh, just put them at the beginning of the film instead of the DVD menu." And they went in the film. And to be honest, the song and that sets the tone straight away. Yeah, the lightheartedness, yeah. the grooviness. Yeah. And then you get into the the opening shot of the car, and what we got of them talking to each other. It sort of like settles you into it, doesn't it? Like it's you, you don't feel stressed watching this film. It it creates some sort of like fun, uh, like it's instead of sitting you down on a concrete block, they're sitting you down on a nice beanbag, and you're like, we're gonna tickle you with some feathers in a moment. Yeah. Whereas like you, you open a film like Dunkirk from from uh, Chris Nolan, and it's like just this underlining bass rumble, mm -hmm. and it's like I'm gonna stress you out for three hours, lads. <laughs> yeah, I was um I was actually glad I watched this um again. We are still in. Uh, lockdown, self isolation in the UK, and it's like it was just a nice break. It was uh, to like watch this. After this, I watched Miss Congeniality, um, so I was proper chilled out by the end of the night, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was really good, by the way. <laughs> oh, you liked it? Yeah, I did actually. Um, it's it's. I, it's just um, again see of the cat the, the book that we're reading about feature films he breaks that that down and I was just like I've just got to watch it I've got it let's put it on and watch it and it was a good two hours yeah. like the the whole bad guy in the plot that just kind of revealed who it was they were like they didn't they didn't know where to go with it and just went ah it's the woman uh, there you go um, and then from there it was just like it was pretty obvious what was going to happen and what was happening but it was a fun romp it was Anyway. Well, that's why he referenced it in Save the Cat, isn't it? Because it hits the beats perfectly. Yeah. It's like uh, written by numbers almost. Yeah. I haven't seen it in years. Like, I watched it when I was younger. I've always been a little bit unsure whether I should watch it again, but I'll give it another go. No, like, yeah, it's good. Maybe we should do Actually, it. Actually, one thing I want to talk about hmm? for the pod. Have you seen it, K-Dog? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and you're very apprehensive about watching it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll do it for the pod at some point. Then. Yeah, that'll be good. Well, now that we've um, spoke about the 15 points of Save the Cat, maybe that's a regular thing we should do 
for the films and then when we get to Miss Congeniality we can reference it and come full circle and yeah. maybe start filling out the 40 points as well. Yeah. If any, <laughs> That'd be cool. If anyone wants to actually, um, the book Save the Cat, if anyone wants to um, read it, it's actually free on Spotify to listen to as an audiobook. So you, you can actually get it on Audible. It? Yeah, yeah, I just found it uh, today. Um, you can get it on Audible as an audiobook, which, you know, it's whatever, it's £8 a month with Audible. But um, it's actually on Spotify. Um, and the second book is as you well. You would think that it wouldn't be a very good listen, would you? But it's actually written really entertainingly. Yeah, I mean, I've read this book quite a few times, not fully, but twice fully and then always just flick back but um i just thought oh, i'll just i'll just listen to it while i'm like planning and there was a few bits that like popped out that i maybe skimmed over yeah. whilst i was reading it so um oh, that's cool. yeah it is on yeah. spotify if anyone wants to uh have a listen to it so special slash visual effects is is there any um I, i've got a little I mean, there's some so special there was some um Special. So, do you know when they blow up the car in this car park? And, yeah. And they throw it, um, like a, what they call like a bomb, like a... A Molotov. Yeah. So, the stunt guy threw that. And he was only like six feet away and he missed. He missed the car. So, they had to, um, oh, no. they had to do that in post. So, that was a, um, a special effect that they added in after. And I watched it again and it looks, oh, it right. looks great. You can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, the others, Anything else? The other stuff is like... Um, like for example, when uh, Jonah Hill gets ran over by the police car, but other than that, I couldn't really like see any special or visual effects. There may be some like set extension, or maybe it's not even that. To be honest, uh, it, like there wasn't. If there is any, it's it's pretty flawless. Yeah, nothing stood out at all. No, not at all. So. If there is visual effects in it, then it's it's doing a pretty good job. I suppose the the only like obvious special effect is when uh, Seth is daydreaming about stealing from the supermarket <laughs> and he gets his throat slashed yeah. by the security yeah. guard. That's really weird as well. That scene because like it doesn't happen again in the film. They could have easily did it for, like the daydreaming yeah, grammar. They could have done it for something else. Um, you know, when he's, you don't actually see too much of them in school. It's only that one lesson, isn't it? Uh, which is really nice about this film because we know that we're in high school. So we only need to see that one lesson. So just have the, the lesson that connects all of the characters together, where they'll be a little bit free, a little bit yeah. re relaxed, maybe move around to different tables. And that's like food, <laughs> food, uh, food education, cooking class, you know, when any time we did it in yeah. school, it was like, it was always the lesson where you could have a little bit of a skive, to be honest. Uh, I remember, right, okay, this is, this is part of my catalogue of things that pissed me off about teachers when I was little. So I understand in cooking class, they'll, they'll, we, we learned how to make scones or cakes or something, but one, one week, we we made beans on toast and i've been i've been making my own dinner like i remember when i was like 10 my mom was like right you're going to make your own dinner on a saturday from now on so i've been making my own dinner since i was 10 years old and beans on toast was just like not a, not it's why, why am i learning this I, I do this every week and i remember uh turning the gas on because uh, I was like, all right, I'm just going to get on with it. And so I turned it, the gas on full and went for a spark. And it came on straight away. And I got shouted at. 
And she was like, you're not supposed to do that. I'm like, what, what's wrong? I, I'm, it lit. I'm, I'm about to cook these beans. She's like, no, shut it off. Come over here. And she was like, you're supposed to put it on the smallest amount of gas and keep clicking and slowly go up until it does it to be safe. I'm like, miss, how are you, man? <laughs> we, we, in science class, we've got taps made of, like, gas comes out of it. Yeah. And it shoots out. We have Bunsen burners. Like, why are you complaining about me turning the gas up? Yeah. Like, like Christ at, almighty. At, a, at school in science, we had Bunsen burners, like, built, or the gas taps built into the table. Was yours similar? Into the yeah, table, yeah. And they're like, yeah. like all of, loads of people just used to get the, the, the lighter out. And just like make a flamethrower on the table, and this was like an inch off the table, in the middle of the table, and it used to happen like every lesson. Like, so when you went into yeah. food te- food tech and did stuff like that, it's just like, miss were like we're setting things alight in science. So that's ridiculous making uh, beans on toast. Aye, uh, beans on toast for cooking class, oh, like right. yeah. Um, I don't even like beans on toast. Nah. Right, uh, Ed- I didn't even want it. I got told <laughs> off because uh, me me cooking partner had to uh, eat the whole thing. Yeah, it was supposed to be like you're getting a pears because you're going to share it, and I'm I didn't hear that. And then uh, Thomas had to eat the whole thing. <laughs> had to like you got because I didn't want it because I, I didn't like beans at the time. You got marked for eating as well. <laughs> <laughs> so and, stupid, um, man. Honestly, right. Um, Some of these things editing. This, oh, I'll tell oh. you another thing before we get to the next bit. My science teacher, right, didn't think that cheesecake had cheese in it. Like, I was arguing yeah. with my friend, and he was like, he did not believe that cheesecake had cheese in it. I was like, yes, it does, because I'd recently made cheesecake with me mum, and we used loads of Philadelphia soft cheese. Uh, so he was like, oh, I'll go tell sir. So he goes over to the science teacher, which was our form tutor at the time. He's like, oh, Mr. Angus, I'm going to, Mr. Angus, it's you. Yeah, you bastard. Uh, <laughs> does cheesecake have cheese in it? He's like, no. And uh, I got proper large. You got ripped. You got ripped that. for it. He's like, oh, oh, has it got cheesecake? Cheesy cake? <laughs> uh, I think they call this like cheesy boy for like a week. <laughs> thing is, uh, honestly, I feel like texting them now and being like, it does have cheese in, and getting like a BBC Good Food <laughs> recipe or something up. But I'll never let that go. I mean, the thing is, the scenario like that is exactly what's like written into this film. Like the scenarios that happened, and it happened to Seth Rogen and his mates. Like it's all based on their on real life, and obviously they're in like food tech, and they make what's that? What do they make? Like a some form of cake, like a um, tiramisu. 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 Mm. That's it. Mm. Yeah, and then he references it at the very end, like uh, talking about like the tiramisu that they made, like fourteen hours earlier, or was it fourteen days earlier? I don't know. With this film, it could be like I don't know the timing. So, like, we get all of those references that, you know, at the beginning of the film and then we get them at the end. But, like, just like that, Rich, like, yours is, like, that could be written into a script. Like, that that you getting called Cheese Boy would happen. And and, and this, is, this is just <laughs> yeah. what, it's just, this film is just based on real life. And then it's added the salt and the pepper just to mm. take a, a little bit out of the world. Just to give a, it hyper-realism. Yeah, 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 because, you know, real-life drama is sometimes of stuff like this. It's not it's not enough for a film, so you've got to take it to the next level and just make it completely ridiculous and silly. But for some yeah, reason... Yeah, fabricated. Like like the guy in class who always like says, like, oh, yeah, I've got a Subaru and Preta in my garage. And yeah. I stole a porch and burnt it out on a that, field. The, the, the <laughs> guy in a... Should, should be a filmmaker. The guy in my class had an MG. He did. Uh... 
I was like, Did yeah, he? so he never. Still haven't seen that, MG. Um, <laughs> K-Dog, is there anyone who is the pathological liar in your school? We, I was just thinking, I, I, we didn't do cooking class. Why? I don't know whether it's because I went to an all-boys school and we live in a, a sexist society and we thought we, did, we none of us needed to cook. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly the reason that's why. Exp- well, that's so it. I didn't you even a Catholic as well. I tell you what, so. I didn't know I'll make beans on toast till I was about twenty-two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's shocking that kid. Your school, um, right? Let's go into editing of the super bad. Um, so I think like the pacing of this film, it like it just flies by. It doesn't it's what is it two hours yeah really i think the, the sign of bad editing and bad pacing is if you get bored through a film right and like at no point do you ever get bored through this so yeah, yeah. it's it's very well very well put together in terms of the beats mm-hmm. um i think the whole meanwhile at the uh thing they did where i splitting the two parties off really helps with that doesn't it, it means they could cut out all of the fat and keep it uh keep it super fun and over the top the whole time yeah super entertaining in between the two stories uh introduces like more characters as well and then it all just they all come together at the end which is really cool um but yeah two hours two hours long i did actually watch i watched three films that day so i watched this miscongeniality before super bad i watched black mass with um johnny depp in it and the, every other person in hollywood is in that film and it was boring super super boring it was just people talking all of the time it was just gangsters um and Apparently, it was involved with drugs and loads of money and more drugs. Did you see any of it? Did you see any of the trade-off? Did you see of like them actually doing any gangster work? No, it was just them talking about it. Um, but uh, apparently, he was the biggest crime lord at the time. Um, the FBI was involved and stuff like that. And it was just people talking in rooms. There wasn't even really anyone. Was it the same type of boring as the Irishman? Yes. Uh it's just sit down conversations between these supposedly cool gangster guys yeah. but we don't see any real cool gangster no and this is like you've got all this power but you don't show it and it's like okay so you show it to the the five people that i've been watching for the last two hours and i actually skip forward in the film which i never do um it was just that uh-huh. bad and then i watched this obviously two very different types of films but the pacing of this film and the intertwining of stories and that was an intertwining of stories as well you had the fbi and then you had the gangster side yes it was a completely different subject but the pacing of that film was so off um it's quite ridiculous in terms of this uh so yeah i think it it went really quick and like rich says the the two storylines just intertwined it made it into a feature film otherwise it would have been an hour long so yeah right i'm gonna switch me uh me video off because my phone says it's overheating again. Okay. So you'll not see us for a bit. Uh, uh, let's get the sound design then. Did you did you see any in that? S- or hear it? I usually put my headphones on, but with this, I really couldn't be bothered. I just turned up the telly. Uh-huh. Um, not really. Uh, there's not really a lot to do, is it? That's not the focus of the film. No. Um, I, I think it's just, it sounded like a film. It did. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Foley was definitely better than Pan's Lab. <laughs> yeah, you really didn't like that, did you? That was shocking. Yeah. Um, soundtrack. Ah, class. Right. I love the soundtrack of this film. Starts off with some groovy soul right at the beginning. And then at the end, uh, I hadn't, 
hadn't listened to too much Van Halen before watching this movie again. But when Van Halen's Panama comes on, when they're like, right, we're gonna we're gonna do donuts in the police car, and then we're gonna throw a Molotov cocktail at it, it's just like I felt like I was there with them having loads of fun, and with that song coming on, it was just like, yeah, this is so cool. Yeah, and then they start singing it as well, and it just feels like proper unadulterated. It was just weird. yeah. I think with this film, like other films of this type of like um like american pie and things like that you know it, it, the soundtrack's so important it sets the tone sets the mood um and from that opening title you know it's just going to be a groovy funky you know film you're going to go along with it and it's going to be fun so when i watched i watched a video on this and they made a good point which is normally films of this type, you know, like John Hughes films from the 80s or things like American Pie, they normally play like the greatest hits of that the past couple yeah. of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of embeds it into that period of time. So um, when, you know, future people watch it, it's kind of almost a nostalgic experience for them. Whereas this one, it didn't really do that. It was a mix of all different genres and all different um, decades of music, mix of funk and soul and hip hop and, and then some mm-hmm. 70s and 80s rock. And I think... You, you can say that's a good thing because it allows it to kind of stand on its own feet and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have... Stay a little bit more it, timeless. It doesn't, yeah, it makes it a bit more timeless. It doesn't rely on uh, nostalgia for you to enjoy it. Because obviously um, this was... Yeah, that's a good point. This was set in 2007. I couldn't even tell you what the music was in 2007. Um, you, maybe, you, will, hmm? you would, but yeah. Carry yeah, on. I'm going to have a look. Um, but with, like I said, with this, it's like, I wonder if the choices of music's from like Seth Rogen... Uh, and even Goldberg, like when they were young, because obviously they wrote this, this is their life. Obviously they grew up mm-hmm. more when those songs were probably still popular and some was actually new at the time. So it's probably a bit of a mixture of that. But yeah, I, like I think with American, but it's, American Pie, it's okay. like, uh, it's Blink-182, isn't it? Like Blink-182. Yeah. And so, some 41, it's like the, the modern punk yeah, rock. Yeah, the 1999 was like, that's that was the music and that's why I probably still love that film because Blink-1 or 2 and some 41, it was like the, them songs were like massive at the time as well. That film almost owns that genre now, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Like if you made a, a fan film of American Pie, you would put that sort of music on. And then yeah. You, whereas with, with Superbad, it's a bit more variety. So the songs of the, the noughties... You've got like uh, Crazy in Love, Hips Don't Lie, Hey Ah, Umbrella, Boom Boom Pow, uh, Niles Barkley's Crazy, Where Is The Love, In The Club, Lose Yourself By Eminem. Yeah. So imagine if if those songs came on, I feel like this film would have aged. Yeah. I mean, not as, not as in well. 2007, Rihanna's Umbrella was out, which was like, probably was one of the biggest yeah. songs of all time. Uh it was like number one for ages. Wow, that's weird. That it fe- this film feels more modern than that because in two thousand and eight, Poker Face came out by Lady Gaga, and I remember what I was doing when Poker Face came out because it was played everywhere. Yeah. It was number one for like thirteen weeks yeah. or something, and I can't believe that this film is as old as like that was a new film when I remember the time I was in in two thousand and eight. It was like a year old. It just feels like th- it feels like this film's like maybe four or five years old but it's not it's like what 30 yeah yeah years really old. Is. that's crazy yeah, um right um so the soundtrack's good yeah then. i really like it <laughs> canny soundtrack, yeah, canny soundtrack. <laughs> um how do you do it differently um 
I don't think I would. I don't. I don't think there's really too much to do because I think you can't really change those characters too much because the the unique to who they are and the situation. Um, no, K Dog, go in there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't let Seth get with the girl in the end. I think he's too much of a prick to have a have have him have a good ending. <laughs> yeah. Um. I would have Michael Sarah have the girl because he was a nice guy through it. But there's no way that that Seth character deserved the um Emma Stone at the end of that film. I mean, he did headbutt her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did headbutt her in the face. Uh, uh, and normally, normally at this section as well, I, I say what I, what problems I had with it, and I suppose the one big, big, big fundamental problem I had with it is that it, what if you host a party, right, and you invite fifty people, you don't buy all fifty people beer, you just tell them all to bring them themselves. Yeah, that's true. But it, it gives like him who, the yeah. Give him the more. I know that's like, the whole. That, yeah. that's the whole story because they have to then go and get that beer, right? So in this fictitious world, BYOB has not been invented. Yeah. So they they have to they have to pretend that this thing doesn't exist for this plot to happen. Because yeah, the whole plot is that you know the fake idea they have to go and buy it. But like yeah, who? <laughs> oh, it's not. It's not for that though. It's it's more to impress the girls, isn't it? But it's it's yeah. In it's, this world, it's, it's it's not getting the alcohol. It's the alcohol's the item. That they feel like they there's the necessity in order to achieve their goal, yeah. which is getting girlfriends for the summer. True, but I just yeah. I've, I've, Whereas I've, if you brought your own, it wouldn't quite work. I've never yeah. heard of yeah, bring your own and everybody else's at the party's beer. I mean, uh, party. There was well, I, they do they they do have their own. Like people do have beer before they turn up. Do you do you hope that do you do you wish they would have it where it's like oh um. Can you can you get us some beer? But also, just to, here's a flyer of my party that I'm having. Bring your own beer, except these main characters. I I don't think you could you could get like work it in well. So like how how would you solve the the problem you've got with the film so far? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But that's obviously the crux of the film, isn't it? To get everyone's beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I- I, yeah, well, it's to get it's to get the the girls beat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's to impress them. Right, how's it aged? So I I don't think I would do anything differently. No. I think um, I thought that I would find some some problems with this this movie based on the problems I found with last last week's. But I'm I'm just really happy that I really enjoyed this film. I was making notes and I was I was trying to find critical points. Um, I don't like go with a, a magnifying glass on it. But if there's something that I'm like ah, I'll write it down. And like there was nothing. There was nothing wrong with this at all. I I think that this is. It's a great it's a great romance story. It is yeah between. With brotherly love, I mean it, it the way that it starts off of like oh I hear you didn't get into Dartmouth. Um, are you gonna miss each other? Nah, we're not gonna miss each other, man. We don't do that. That's not us. Oh, that's that's gay. That you know, you don't want that. And then by the end of it, they're snuggling up and saying, "I love you." Yeah. Oh, I love you. Like, Why don't we say this? They've matured as as friends, yeah. and it's it's the perfect ending as as them maturing. Like they've they've actually reached what they needed to, and they got what they wanted, and they needed to be fools in order to do it. 
And, uh, uh, aye, wicked. Um, the only problem I've got with this is it's not super bad, is it? It's super good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Oh, I did it. You did it. Um, has it aged? Has it has aged? aged? It, it has some bits. I mean, flip phones. Yeah. For one. But saying that, flip phones are still in. in I'm sure more. TV series and films now, like flip bones look. Cool. Motorola just brought out a new one, I think. So, that, like Breaking Bad has yeah. them. In Canada, they still use flip bones because of the cold. Huh? I think I read that on the internet. If there's anyone listening who's um, Canadian, no. uh, let us know. If like that's we don't <laughs> fake or not. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, in in other ways, I mean, the fact that you brought up modern music for the year in 2007, Umbrella. Lady Gaga's height, things like that. I wouldn't have put those at the same point in time. It's crazy. Nah, it wouldn't have fit stuff like that. I don't think it would have been a completely different film. I don't think it would have been allowed to be as like silly. You know, when you've got music which is probably not as well known to the audience, to the catered audience that this is for. Like some of those songs, people might not have ever heard of before, like the opening one. It's a popular song, but that this age bracket might not have um, listened to it before. It just allows you to just watch the film. Because if you heard Rihanna's Umbrella or a song of that time, you would be singing along to that song. And I think that's what some, sometimes yeah. like that you just want to have something which is either being made for the film or something that's not as popular. Because like, even when you hear... Maybe that's what a great soundtrack's mm-hmm. for. Like, they, you, can, you can listen to that first song now and instantly recognize it as super yeah. bad but whereas if it was like like umbrella or something mm-hmm. you would be like well it's, it's just umbrella oh and it happens to be in the film yeah super it's bad. like um in reservoir dogs uh stuck in the middle with you which is the song that uh quentin tarantino spent the most money on i think he had nineteen thousand pound for his budget and he spent it all on that one song um and yeah. now it's that's what you know from reservoir dogs like that is the song um, yeah like if you were gonna, if you were gonna try and like recreate that scene, you would obviously, you would have the, the the stereo, and you would have the song and the gloves and the dancing and all of that in it. So it like, that's what a good soundtrack is. It's taking something that you wouldn't expect for the genre of, of film, putting it into the point where that film now owns that yep. music. That's why it's so good. Is it in the Matrix? Oh God, um, no. Actually, K-Doc, has it aged? How- no, I agree. I agree with what you said, and it's particularly about the music. Um, the kind of look of it looks like a comedy that will be released um, you know, this year. And and the, the humour, unfortunately, hasn't really aged as well because we're all just as immature as we were <laughs> 10 years ago. It's <laughs> not more. So. Uh, Would you run down the streets to see the surgery of someone who was in the air? <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thing is, K-Dog, K-Dog, I know <laughs> this is, because we, we know each other fairly well, and anytime we watch a film, you embrace some of the characters. Um, and I know with this film... Oh, definitely Michael Cera. Yeah. This one. yeah. <laughs> that's exactly... <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. what I was going to ask. Uh, which which character are you? <laughs> to be fo- to be fair, I probably am as well. Um, hopefully, I'm not um, Fogel, but uh, it's like yeah, Michael Sarah. So yeah, we I think we're all a little bit like him, aren't we? Um, is it in the Matrix? Yeah. 
I didn't even think about the Matrix when I was yeah, watching me too. this at all. I mean, I usually don't, <laughs> but no, this this feels a lot more like real life. Yeah, it does. Maybe it's a future version of like the Matrix if- where they've gotten it so real. <laughs> like, yeah. let's, you know what it is. Let's tr- let's try a funny version of the Matrix. Um, maybe maybe it's that. I don't know. Maybe that girl that they chased down the street was that redheaded girl in the Matrix, just to kind of move the plot along. You've nailed it. That's it. Oh, you've abso- yeah, you've absolutely it. nailed it, K Dog. <laughs> so it is in the Matrix. Because if that if that girl didn't come, right, they would they would the the story would have stopped there. Yeah. It's right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the woman in the red Whoa. dress. Blew me mind there. <laughs> there you Nailed go. it. Wicked that kid dog. <laughs> Do you guys have any more trivia, fun facts, or fan theories? Um, for McLovin's scene at the end, his sex scene at the end, his mom had to be on set because he was only yeah, 17. Yeah, that was awkward because he because right. he was seventeen at the time, so technically this was all illegal. It was underage sex, so they had to be very careful with um, how they shot that. Like there was some there oh, okay. was some like you know laws where. Um, he could never be on top, which is why the girls I was on top of him. Uh, and they, there was to be no grinding. Um, there was like loads of lawyers that like kind of watched was, were there during the scene as well, and like kind of watched all the uh, uh, the scenes before before it was um, released. It's kind of weird right. if you think about it. That is weird. Yeah. Now it's weird. It wasn't weird before. Now yeah. it is. <laughs> this was Emma Stone's first film, apparently. Yeah, it was. I mean, the the all... mad. I, I, I always just thought she's always been yeah, around. I mean, the all all the cast have went from this to do like massive stuff. They started off with this. Yeah, they're yeah. all huge. I mean, now. this was this was brilliant. They were all good in it. Uh, it was it, this was massive, and then it just projected like all of them um, from that. It was Jonah Hill's first lead as well. Mm. So Jonah, Jonah Hill was the oldest out of the kind of lead characters. Everyone else was about 18. I think Fogel was 17. Um, but Jonah, uh, Jonah Hill was 23. Oh, right. Um, and they kind of were, you know, skeptical, trepidatious about hiring him and um, casting him because of that, because they wanted someone a bit younger. But they kind of convinced them that he could play a, a 17, 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a big problem was that he's got quite thick uh, uh, facial hair that grows quite fast <laughs> so they had to like if they were doing like long shoots he had to shave in between and he oh, had to wow. get someone to t- to on set to kind of teach him how to shave properly in case he like you know cut his face and the kind of continuity of his facial facial hair would be all wrong um so the, oh because he was obviously clean shaven, he's clean right? shaven through the whole thing um but apparently yeah by like five o'clock in the afternoon he's already got like a bit of a stubble Right. Oh, I wish I could go beard like that. That'd be amazing. Which he does. If you've seen him with with a beard, he's got quite a thick, um, thick beard on him. Mm-hmm. Good fact. Any more facts? No, I've got none. Um, said all mine. All done. Just good one. It. So um, let's give it a rating then. Between uh, really bad. Really how good, many super were bad, you? Super. How good. about we? Uh, were you McLovin it? Oh, <laughs> he's done it again. Bada, bada, bada. <laughs> um, yeah, make yeah, it. I was make loving it too. <laughs> oh, great. So uh, we all make. We all make love it, yeah. Yeah, wicked. All right, wicked. That was good. So, um, 
if anyone wants to reach us, you can email us at thefilmlook, uh, thefilmlook at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at thefilmlook. We've, uh, we've actually got a YouTube channel, which we started before this podcast, called The Film Look, where we drop filmmaking knowledge bombs based on the short films we make. So if you want to learn a little bit more about filmmaking, a little bit more about the films we make and the struggles along the way, just go over to uh, youtube.com forward slash The Film Look. Um, thanks for uh, listening, and we'll see you in the next one. See ya. I'm still laughing at Mick Lovin' it, like... <laughs> <laughs> Should we cut yeah. there?